Well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I wish I could say I hope this is your last session of It's probably not. Uh, if there's one thing that is becoming clear to me is that contrary to popular belief, we need less cowbell and a much bigger boat to attend all these conferences, all these rooms. And so my apologies being a bit late. It's quite difficult to get from hotel to hotel, I've noticed. Uh, so by means of introduction, my name is Bas Kamphaus. I, uh, I lead the SAP Alliance uh, within AWS. It's been a phenomenal journey. It's been a lot of fun. I'll give you a little bit of an update, but I'll give it from a partnering perspective, right? Ultimately, this is a session inside the Global Partner Summit. Um, by show of hands, who is currently providing SAP services, and that's the reason why you're in this room? All right, so I need to spend a little bit of time explaining SAP. Who's currently delivering services specifically to SAP workloads on AWS? Who is already? Okay, so a third, a third, a third. Um, we'll go slow. So a bit of a reality check, right? This is a CIO survey that uh, Harvey Nash did together with KPMG. They do this annually. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing, and it, it's, it's nothing overly new, right? When you ask the CIOs what their priorities are, they see the volatility in the political, the economic climate as a key challenge to serve their business constituents. But there is also, when you accidentally ask them about what it takes to acquire skills and moving at the speed that the business needs to move these days, a real opportunity identified to help them do that, right? And then if we actually translate that to what SAP would dub as enabling the digital core, the digital transformation, which is probably a bit of an overused buzzword and it means a lot of things to a lot of people. For SAP, that predominantly means enable the customers to run their enterprises in memory. No more spindles, much faster, real time, but there's a true challenge to get there. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And so that's what we dub as crossing the chasm, if you will. For 30 years, big enterprises, small enterprises have actually implemented a thing that was used to be referred to as R3. And R3 is your supply chain, your finance, your HR system, all natively integrated in the SAP application. There's a couple of downsides with it when you talk to the CIOs or the SAP practice owners. It's a high degree of capital investment. It's fairly complex to maintain. To me, it's fundamentally architected for stability and dependability. Those were the assets in the 90s when everybody was custom coding pieces of this pie, and now it actually became a platform. It became attractive in the Y2K. And of course, SAP has continued to innovate, and they introduced HANA a couple of years ago, and then they introduced S4 HANA as the next generation of the ERP system, if you will, and they used BW for HANA as the next evolution of the business warehouse. What holds customers back is the amount of change they are going to introduce into their organizations. What holds them back is also a fairly heavy, heavy price ticket. For those of you that are not familiar with SAP, just take an analogy of what it took uh, Microsoft to move its customer base off Windows XP. 
seemingly a small exercise for an individual, but also question this, do I need it? It's an operating system. My web browser starts and Word seems to run, so why, why do it? It's the exact same problem here. The ERP system that has been deployed is actually running quite well, and as long as you keep refreshing the, the hardware, you're going to be fine. But at some point in time, your ability to consume the innovations that come out of ISVs like SAP becomes limited because the barrier is getting too high, right? So there's an effort, an unknown amount of effort associated with consuming the innovation that SAP introduces. Now, the customer base has been hearing the pitch from SAP for about three, four years, and they're starting to really believe we are serving, together with SAP, thousands of customers, hundreds of enterprise customers that are actually believing in the promise that S4 and the digital transformation roadmap provides. But for partners, it's a wonderful opportunity to simplify that journey. And as AWS, we believe we actually can do something significant in simplifying that journey. And we'll talk about what that means. So a bit of a market perspective. There's different points of view on this. I tend to go with the uh, analyst of uh, Pierre Den Consulting. They specifically measure the service opportunity around big ISV strategic workloads. And it articulates where the market is, right? All in all in all, for FY 2016, there were, at that point in time, about 355,000 SAP customers across 180 countries, generating close to $25 billion in services revenue. Now, the true customer base on the solutions that I described earlier are probably around 50, 55,000. 55,000 of these customers are running SAP for something in their ERP uh, scope or something in their BW scope. Another thing that you never hear, there is no BW customer unless they're an ERP customer already. Nobody bought BW as a standalone solution. So 80% of that market is small to mid-sized enterprises, but the big customers are producing actually around 80% of the revenue. So the last 20% generates the revenue for SAP. And think about the Nestle's or the, the big Chevron Texaco's oil and gas and by and large is running on SAP. Now for the service opportunity, right? So that's a $42 billion service opportunity of which only $10 billion, still a significant amount of money, is associated with the HANA opportunity today. billion dollars is actually associated with maintaining and keeping the current systems up to date. The growth trajectory of those two is very different though. HANA will go up dramatically because customers are bang banging into a must upgrade to a HANA by 2025. So they're kind of forcing the issue. And the existing install base, similar to Windows XP, let's just care and feed it, keep it running until such time that I actually want to upgrade. Now, what's also interesting is that, of course, there's application management services, which by itself is an $11 billion marketplace, and there is hosting services. Sorry, I'm mixing that up. Application management, AMS, 15, and hosting, about 11. Both of those don't have a high growth trajectory. 
probably partly in due to public cloud vendors taking some of the ease of serving that type of work away. The need to maintain SAP systems and the need for expertise in doing that remains very current though. It's more or less more a hardware infrastructure type proposition for these SAP workloads than necessarily a threat to hosting. So we're working with specific partners, managed service providers, if you will, that have significant data center assets, but see that customers like the agility and flexibility of what SAP in the cloud actually would provide. And it's not that top line revenue, fairly low margins, that I believe partners should be interested in as the world is shifting towards a consumption-based IT infrastructure model, right? So, kind of alluding to it, SAP has come out that by 2025, the traditional RDBMS database systems will no longer be served. So no Oracle, no DB2, no Microsoft SQL. Also very similar to what Windows XP did, right? At some point in time, after several extensions, Microsoft said, I'm no longer supporting it. Maybe there's a private partner that wants to do it for you. But every one of those 55,000 customers that I, that I mentioned has to go through a transformation engagement. They have to move off Oracle, DB2, Microsoft SQL, to a version that runs on HANA. Now, there's two problems. Actually, it's a wonderful opportunity, but there's also a problem to, with it. The average lifespan of a CIO is five years. 2025 is more than five years in the future, so it's not my problem, right? It's somebody else that's gonna actually have to deal with this. But there's also, of course, can I say, will the customer base see the value in making that HANA transformation? Some customers do today. I think as more use cases come out, it will start growing. Okay, this was just a preamble to get you grounded in what SAP is. These are slides that you probably, especially if you attend reInvent, have seen before, but I want to talk to them in the context of SAP, right? When you talk about what do we know Amazon.com for, what do we know specifically AWS.com uh, for, it's the unprecedented scale. The scale in which we have HANA-capable, purpose-built infrastructure available across 16 regions right now, more regions coming online every time, is uncomparable to anything else, which gives customers, obviously, when they architect these things, unique capabilities that they never had before in terms of specifying where the disaster recovery location will be of, an, uh, of a mission-critical solution how to think about high availability, right? It's all software defined, and that's unique. It's hyperspeed. A HANA system is a purpose-built system. Even if you buy it from one of the hardware providers, it's usually an appliance or an, a very specific configuration that you get to build yourself. The cost of that appliance is not insignificant. HANA works in memory, so terabytes are, are the, the name of the game here. A, eight terabyte system is quickly gonna cost you north of $350,000, $400,000. You obviously need more than one box to maintain a full environment. Where with AWS, you get half an hour, in a half an hour you can instantiate your HANA environment, two terabytes, four terabytes, 
and for the two terabytes, you would pay $13. When you talk to CIOs, the agility and the flexibility are super important. When you talk to the CFOs, the direct impact of the OPEX versus CAPEX conversations becomes very, very tangible. And think about all these customers that are sitting on these uh, traditional databases would need to invest north of half a million just to run a POC today to land a production system in, right? Very different proposition with AWS. Now, obviously, our pace of innovation applies to Amazon, but it also applies to what we do uh, specific for SAP workloads. We introduced the two terabytes in 2015. We introduced, at that point in time, 14 terabytes of scaling, and we are now up to four terabytes scale up and 50 terabytes announced this week in terms of scale out. At those spaces, we've run the numbers with SAP because we obviously we're working together on building these environments. At those numbers, in terms of scale up, we think we can address about 96, 97% of the addressable market right now. There is customers the size of an Intel or the size of a Nestle that are not quite fitting in that, but most customers can, and they can start actually benefiting from the attributes of the public cloud. For 50 terabyte scale out, we frankly don't think there is a customer that cannot be, uh, be served with that environment. And then ultimately, 62% uh, consecutive price uh, discounts that we're putting through the system. Our commitment to making customers successful is unprecedented. I've been part of it. I know that partners that have implemented SAP on AWS have experienced it. What drives our innovation priorities, what drives our, our behaviors every day is the customers. We had a great customer advisory board. There's a significant install base these days providing us direct roadmap guidance as to where they want us to take it. And so then that leads for the people that are familiar with SAP, kind of how we got there, right? We started by doing more the commodity workloads. SAP obviously saw the value of the AWS platform, started developing internally on it. And slowly we started getting to the certification of our first SAP HANA system. But it was an SAP HANA system based on an E5-based architecture, which had limitations, could only get you so far, right? I think at the time, we, uh, we served uh, a quarter terabyte of memory. And so customers gave us the feedback, like, they love all the attributes of it, but I could never fit in that size. So two years ago, about two and a half years ago now, we purposely made the decision to build an E7-based platform with a massive memory footprint, which wasn't easy. Because SAP as a traditional ISV is fairly stringent. They really want to maintain the customer experience. So when you certify hardware in the traditional world, you ship the box to the SAP labs. They got to test with it. And four or five months later, they said, yeah, it seems to hold up. Uh, you can call it certified. You can ship it to customers. But with the public cloud, that doesn't work. A, we don't share our hardware architecture. But B, it's also not necessarily come able to come loose of the data center. And we certainly don't let um, outside uh, individuals into our data center. So we had, they had to change their model too, which took a fair bit of time. But since then, we introduced the two terabytes, as said, the 14 terabytes initially, now scale out to 50. And, uh, and we continue to innovate. One of the innovations that we'll be talking about is fast migrations because I think it's a wonderful dialogue for, to have with a customer, especially from the partner perspective. 
Second one is that not all things are HANA. We actually just recently addressed uh, Hybris, the e-commerce platform, which is now certified to run natively on Aurora, which is phenomenal. Because that means that we're now starting to really natively start benefiting from the, the architecture, the platform of AWS. We're able to maintain multiple consistent copies, fully self-healing, self-tuning, right? It's ultimately, I think, where we need to go with this world. Now, year and a half ago, just to show you that that pace of innovation also means, uh, means something real in terms of customer adoption, right? A year and a half ago, we launched, we co-launched with HANA BW uh, in San Francisco at the time, and I had a customer reference slide with four logos on it. And then at Sapphire this year, we updated the slide, and we had a grid of three by five, 15 customer logos. And now for this conference, we looked into our customer base and asked which customers wanted to go public, being an AWS SAP customer. It's a lot. Most of these customers have migrated a mission-critical workload to AWS in the last 12 months. And I just want to stress this point, right? I'm not boasting, but from a partner perspective, the HANA architecture means that the SAP customer needs to reevaluate infrastructure. It doesn't run on a standard server software. Uh, storage and network solution. If they have to rebuy infrastructure, if they need to rethink infrastructure, they will take a look at hyperscale cloud. If you're there at the right time, it's a fairly easy conversation. It really is. Now these customers, I've regrouped them to, to kind of help you orient it, but there are significant enterprises like Bose, Compass Group, SAP themselves is a huge consumer of AWS technology. We'll talk a little bit more about it, but most of the SAP cloud properties run on AWS for a good reason. Lionsgate or BP. BP actually was a funny story. I had a conversation with BP in December 2016. Um, about AWS, they had a little bit of a dispute with Oracle and they decided we have to do something, I'm not gonna go through the audit, I just need to get off. And somebody smart in IT said, well let's just try to see if we can copy the system to, to Amazon and they did so and they showed the CIO, Stuart, and they did, they kind of showcased in an hour what it would take to instantiate a full environment in AWS and the CIO said that's where everything's going, we're going. They literally moved entire lines of business from Oracle to Sybase ASE SAP solutions for Castrol, their loops business worldwide in less than three months. And since then they have moved their BW environments on HANA and they're gonna actually migrate all of BP in less than a year. That's a very powerful story. A company that's in oil and gas that needs to innovate at constantly changing market uh, dynamics chooses AWS and they believe that's the key to being competitive in the future. Okay, for the techies amongst you, I mentioned purpose-built hardware. So this is quite unique, right? Um, the X1 platform comes in multiple sizes. 
They're all mission or purpose-built E7-based configurations. HANA is not necessarily memory constraints, it's CPU constraint. Something not that many people really dive into, but ultimately the CPU will control how much memory you can address. And it's all parallel processing. And it's massive in that sense, right? And so we really have a purpose-built um, environment here with very custom network switches that, that assume near-line storage that is actually co-located with, uh, with these systems, all software-defined. And it took us a while to design this, but it has a unique capability now that, frankly, between SAP and ourselves, we don't know quite where the limits are. But when we started building out these scale-out environments, we scaled first with seven nodes, 14 terabytes, and we got a certain performance benchmark, which was quite, quite respectable in the, in the world of benchmarks. And then we said, okay, let's see what happens if I put actually, what is it, 17 of these nodes together, which wasn't even an allowed configuration from SAP's perspective, but we ran the benchmarks and the system performed at the exact same thresholds as the seven nodes. And then we did 25 nodes, that's the 50 terabyte configuration, and the system still performs without any performance degradation. It's, of course, a massive amount of data that needs to get loaded in the system, and that takes additional time. But the queries are not impacted. Now, SAP has never been able to test that because nobody in the hardware community was crazy enough to send them 25 servers to just stand there to do a couple of tests, right? So there's no, no comparison to it, but it's very interesting to see that the architecture is actually holding up, and we don't know quite where the limits are. So from SAP and our perspective, if we run into a, a client that says, I need a 120 terabyte scale-out environment, we probably would be more than willing to give it, a, give it a try. Now, 25 of those systems can be provisioned in less than 12 hours. That's huge. We've done it for a big consumer packaging company here in uh, North America. It's huge. They've never seen it before. And they can shut it down an hour later and always nothing, right? Which is fine. Now, for those of you that, uh, that are in this space, we're not alone in the hyperscale cloud world for SAP. There's Microsoft. Um, Microsoft has, to date, mainly promoted a private cloud model, uh, which is managed by one of uh, the SI partners for them and they're serving some of their, their most critical enterprise customers. When, when it comes to cloud native, Microsoft has announced that it will come out with a 3.8 terabyte system sometime soon. They've said that in Sapphire and we're still waiting to see it. Now, Google is a fast entrance. Um, they're also coming to, to life. The problem that Google is facing is they don't have any customers yet. So they don't know what it means to maintain a mission-critical environment. But when you just evaluate it on size, the amount of sizes and configurations that AWS supports extends about at times 20 of the competition today. And that matters to customers because you cannot run out of memory with a mission-critical system that runs the backbone of your, of your company, right? So as you evaluate the partner that you want to go to, to bed with, I strongly encourage you to dive deep into these technical details. 
Now, there's more than four terabytes needed. There's still that 4% of the market that we're not addressing with the four terabyte solution when we think scale out, right? So this is a roadmap just to show you how, for those of you that are, and I'm sure a number of you are very familiar with our culture at AWS, we don't promise futures typically, but we recognize that enterprise customers that are betting their operations on the smooth operation of an ERP system on AWS that continues to grow, they need a commitment that we will be there when the system runs out of space. So we announced the eight terabytes and we announced 16 terabytes. We're literally working in the lab. They're gonna be released in 2018. There's probably a number of additional configurations that we will add. But these are truly built for purpose, once again, systems. Now here we're getting into a very interesting and innovative space. You can't virtualize above four terabytes. So we're really doing some very unique things. I'm hoping that we can talk to you guys probably end of the, end of, end of the spring about how we're doing this. But this will still be an infrastructure that's completely integrated in the EC2 fabric which means it completely will be software-defined how it gets deployed. We will bill in similar fashions. We might ask for longer-term commitments because the cost of these systems is not, not trivial. Um, but it will integrate into the existing APIs, right? Providing the extensibility and the configuration choices that customers got used to. And then our strategy. So this kind of changed as well, right? where we actually, our first objective was, we'll need to make sure that every SAP solution is certified. We saw two primary use cases. That's at the bottom of this circle. One of them is lift and shift. Those are typically run your ERP on Oracle system in AWS. It's a light lift and shift. It gets overestimated how complex that is. We have partners that do this with productive systems in less than a month for mid-sized companies. It's actually such an, an easy thing to do. The thing that holds a customer back from doing that today is that the assets that they have in their data centers have not been fully written off yet, right? So there's still a, a balance and they know they're gonna do it, just not today. The value in return is also not that great, right? But you create a level of agility and elasticity at least that you wouldn't have in your existing data center. The second part, and we've seen this really grow over the last 12 months, is most customers are taking the HANA propositions uh, serious, and they're actually starting to do something in that digital transformation journey. So in P-Space, they have the option to move uh, to suite on HANA, which is the light version one, if you will, or they can take it all the way to S for HANA. In BW, they can migrate to BW for HANA or BW on HANA, same kind of analogy there. But as a strategy, we're having many customers saying, okay, but it's not a monolithic SAP system for me. I have all kinds of other systems that I need to integrate into. I have lots of SaaS providers these days that I need to integrate to. When I think about big data lakes, that's an AWS workload. How do I integrate that, right? So we've put a lot of emphasis on ensuring that the SAP cloud properties, think about Conquer or SuccessFactors, Ariba, integrate well when they run on AWS. And we're spending a whole lot of time on making sure that SAP's platform as a service offering, SAP, runs seamlessly on AWS and integrates natively with AWS services. 
like Lambda, Kubernetes, and all that stuff, right? We're going to put a lot more emphasis in the next year in making sure that interoperability between the stacks is becoming much more intuitive and, and transparent. And then lastly, which is a key goal, and Matthew Lobo is actually accountable for, uh, for a number of the partner uh, initiatives that we're running, is it won't scale until the partner community believes it's valuable to customers and sees an opportunity to actually make money and serve customers well. So we put a tremendous amount of emphasis this year on enabling partners. We'll talk a little bit more about how we look at partners. But we grew our programmatic engaged partners from about eight 12 months ago to over 78 today. And that may sound discouraging if the other partners are already there. But if you look at the market opportunity of on itself, the move to cloud, secondary, the move to HANA, and the expertise that is required to do it well, to make sure these mission-resistant, uh, uh, mission-critical system continues to work well and operate well, is a number of partner opportunities. And it ranges from implementation to advisory and strategy to managing and operating these systems to extending the solutions for tech partnerships, right? So we're interested in all partners in this space because we have the, we have the requirements. For the sake of time, I'll skip a little bit over the customers. There's one that I do want to share with you. So we, all, we already talked about BP, right? I don't want to uh, necessarily omit this from, uh, from your eyes, but phenomenal use case. Great customer discovered by just doing it how easy it can be. Uses a, their existing global SI that completely pivoted from their own data centers to actually serving IBM. Uh, IBM is the partner, so there you have that. Uh, on AWS. And they learned quick. Now Zappos, full disclosure, Zappos is headquartered here in Vegas, one of our own company. But we started creating an offering to help automate that migration. We call it FAST. There's actually a blog announcement today from SAP announcing FAST. FAST stands for FAST AWS SAP Transformation. And what we did with FAST is basically take an existing SAP tool, which was called the Data Migration Option. And the Data Migration Option was able to take a source system extract it, migrate it, or convert it to a future target destination when it comes to the database, and, and upgrade automatically. The issue with the tool was that you needed two servers standing in close proximity, because every read required a commit, a write. And so we broke that tool, the tool in half and said, why can we not read everything, extract it, if you will, then move the compressed extraction file to AWS, and then execute the second part of the process and actually commit. So what we did with Zappos is we took an Oracle SAP ERP system, um, extracted it, migrated it, re-implemented it in 29 hours. On average, we're targeting 48 hours. Zappos was wicked fast, partly because they have a fairly clean system, right? There's bugs that we discover in these uh, engagements. But for 29 hours, Zappos was actually 
in one week from just discussing it, able to see what the actual size implications were, therefore knew what the infrastructure cost would be going forward. They were absolutely able to, against production data, execute a month-end close. They were able to experience, against production data, what an MRP run would look like. And they could make the business case by upgrade versus estimating what the upgrade would be. Remember that crossing the chasm, de-risking effort and budget, a lot of the traditional constraints were gone. And so we're actually, uh, we've taken that to market since Sapphire, which is May this year, and we've uh, we served a bunch of customers in doing that. Now what we need, obviously, is partners. There's a, this is a slide that I actually don't use with partners. And my apologies if your logo didn't uh, fit on the slide. This is a slide I use with customers because customers are coming to me or to anybody in AWS, and there are some that are adventurous and they want to own and control this, but most of them say, who should I pick? Do you have a partner recommendation? Or I'm working with partner X, do they have the skills to actually help me in this transformation? And the answer, the reason that we actually created this slide, and I'm absolutely authentic when I, when I share with you, not all partners are equal, and not all cloud providers actually have the same philosophy when it comes to partners. We would not endorse a partner if we didn't absolutely, with confidence, knew that they had the experience, they've done it before. And we actually know from these customers that they've done it before and it was a good experience. We make sure that they have direct access to us, at this point in time, I can still promise you, I know every CEO of every partner that actually has an, a relationship with us. I'm sure that we won't be able to keep that off, but these partners that we actually endorse on these slides, they're in a partner advisory board a couple of times a year. They have direct access. They do serve, uh, run into customer issues. There is issues from time to time with an SAP version that hasn't been certified yet, or a bug in an Oracle database, these partners literally have the, the red phone on their engagements. That's why they're partners that you can trust. They also have multiple customer implementations and have a go-to-market alignment with us. When a partner comes to us and says, we see customer X as a great opportunity for AWS, and we know that this customer has already a direct conversation with us and says, not that interested yet, maybe six months from now we would share that. And lastly, we've put in a lot of effort in training and enabling these partners. We're running boot camps. Actually, here on Monday, we trained 100 consultants at once, which was the first time we did it at that scale, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to do more of that. Um, that is different than some of the other companies by which you fill out an online form, and there you are, your logo on the partner page, right? And we have to, you know AWS, we have to ensure that customers have a phenomenal experience. Because if we lose the trust at this early stage with such a mission-critical workload, we'll never regain it. So we're taking this very, uh, very seriously. And we're very proud of the partners that are serving customers today. We have tools, we have experiences with these fast migrations. So by show of hands, which of you guys are assuming that you're more in the SI category? I have a couple of SIs here. 
is this fast proposition something interesting to take to your customers? Right? If you can unlock the service opportunity by talking to the digital transformation and say, I, I did it myself. I had a customer that says, we, we just got a mandate from the board that we need to implement S4HANA in half the time than we anticipated. It needs to be up and running in 2019. And I'm looking at you, I'm looking at Microsoft, and Google is not that real yet for us. But I have to have a system in November. And this was in September. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'll have a system for you by the end of this meeting. No, but it needs to be a four terabyte system. I'll have a four terabyte system by the end of this meeting. I'm like, yeah, but I need my guys to actually understand how you do this. I'm like, that's fine. We'll have a solution architect actually do it together with you so that the next environment you can build yourself. It is a huge accelerator to get the service revenue of what is actually much more interested interesting, which is the digital transformation in its own right, enabling a net new business process to come to life, right? Okay, I'll skip these slides because we kind of talked through it and for the sake of time. The one thing I want to stress, and that it's because a partner just asked me, what are the lessons learned in, in successful partnerships and what are the lessons learned uh, of partnerships that got off to a great start but didn't quite deliver what they were deliver. One of it is, and I mean that for everybody, if you're in a larger organization, these initiatives have to be carried in the SAP practice. They can be, they can be an AWS practice, but they won't go anywhere unless it's the SAP practice and the people that talk to the SAP customer are able to be convinced that it's the better, it's the better Richard out there. Um, two, it needs to actually be grounded in true skills. Certifications and competencies are the name of the game with AWS and very much so in, in, in the SAP space. Now, I hear the partner feedback like, really, certification for SAP workloads? I probably need 20% of what you're going to teach me during the certification, and I'm going through 80% of the effort, right? And we're working that. Um, we certainly hear your feedback there, and I think we can be more optimized. But Trainings like we did uh, on Monday here, the online training that's going to become available, the competency accreditation and the APN layers, they actually matter. Customers do look at it. There was a third insight. That is, uh, don't spend too much time building a solution before you go talk to the customer. There's many partners that spend so much time on building an wonderful orchestration layer on top of it all, and there's absolutely an opportunity there. I'm not discouraging you there. But you easily can spend a year to a year and a half building wonderful solutions to complement the AWS Lego blocks with other partners moving faster than you. If you have a good idea, just go validate it with the customer. See what the feedback is. See what your value add is, what your differentiation could be. I'd rather have you just take a shot at it and learn as you go than to spend too much time in the lab trying to figure this out. All right, before we go to the takeaways, are there any questions that you would like me to entertain? Sir.
So the question is, what's the plan with VMware? Uh, so we have a wonderful relationship with VMware, as, as you guys probably all are aware. And SAP is part of the scope of what we're working on, right? So in the scenario that on both sides of the, uh, of the organizations we see is that these X1 instances become fully addressable uh, by the v uh, VMware layers as well. So that customers actually have flexibility to say, okay, I need to burst temporarily or I want to clone temporarily, but I want to stay in my data center for whatever my production system is, right? All these scenarios are in scope. There is, a, it's not an easy feat, right? There is a unique technical architecture inside AWS, and I think we're moving at the right speed. We've released our first compute instances now. Uh, X1 is probably one of the next priorities to get on that roadmap as well. So I, it's, 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 it's not necessarily a commitment, but I would think that whatever we do natively could very well become a VMware supported when you look at the compute offering as well. I don't think we have any concerns there. As a matter of fact, uh, some customers, German Automotive, that are very big VMware customers, say that to me is the ticket. Because if I can actually move these VMware images over, then I don't have a cloud migration issue anymore. Right? That's what I want. So again, we're listening to customer feedback and prioritizing what we work on next based on that. Sorry, was there a question here? Other questions? Yes, somebody uh, did forward that to me. <laughs> no, we, uh, we were aware. Um, to me, that's fine. It's customer choice. Um, if, I, if I look at it, it's experience matters, right? And there's no algorithm to actually compress experience. If you look at that announcement, it's very much a business announcement. Microsoft will run SAP software. SAP will use Azure services. Um, in full disclosure, I used to run uh, at Microsoft the SAP environment for 10 years, so I'm fairly familiar with the, what the, the scope is there. I welcome it. I think uh, Microsoft would be better off focusing on serving customers than serving SAP. Uh, that's their choice. When you look at it, though, what the true credential is of what AWS does is we're serving thousands of customers today, hundreds of enterprise customers. You saw the logo slide. The logo slide is a small subset of the customers that rely on AWS today. None of the other cloud providers had caught up to that yet. I'm sure they will get there. I mean, I do think they have, uh, they have great assets and great skills to get there. But if I was a customer today, there's not that much to choose from. That is a great, great, great question. And there is, so the question is, is there a roadmap to the cloudification of SAP? Um, and so we're all under NDA and the doors are closed. Anybody from SAP in the room? <laughs> I think for SAP, um, 
And for its customers, there, there, is a, there, there is a bit of a dilemma. And the dilemma is that the IP is sitting on an on-prem architecture that has been originated 30 years ago. And it is, I mean, it's, it's still, it amazes me in terms of the architectural concepts that were introduced there, that were basically leveraging client-server technology in a very innovative way, right? And it created a very scalable platform, also a platform that end users started to highly customize. And SAP needed to do that at the time because it needed to work for every customer in the Fortune 500 and later on many more customers, right? Now what you sit with is highly customized systems on-prem and there is no natural upgrade path to an all-you-can-eat all standard ERP offering. Matter of fact, there's a real question out there. Will, will anybody ever produce an ERP SaaS platform that can scale to the enterprise demands? So as much as SAP is doing, I think, the right things in trying to get the cloud attributes, it's much incorporated in their offering. It's not Salesforce.com. It's not Conquer or Field Class or Workday. Right, because it wasn't architected that way. Um, it's going to be, to me, probably the key opportunity. The company that invents the SaaS for enterprises, for ERP workloads, is going to be the disruptor. It could well be SAP, to be honest. It could be Oracle. It could be a net new play entrant in this space. Right? It's not Infor. It's not NetSuite. It's not Dynamics. They, they all started too small. SAP started with the enterprise in mind. But if somebody has the cash to solve that problem, they're going to be heroes. For now, my answer to customers is what SAP and AWS can do together is give you as close to a SaaS level of experience as you probably are going to get without giving up any of the unique enterprise requirements you have. I can give you on-demand billing. Maybe not for licenses yet, but that, that's a theoretical problem. I'm sure we'll get through that. But for infrastructure, I can give you on-demand infrastructure. I can give you elasticity. I can even give you automated scaling, right? We can go from a quarter to a half terabyte to one terabyte and just put automation on top of it. So we can get close. We could, we could consider that as well. Llama is not that popular as a platform, so I have a hard time prioritizing it. But um, if there's customer demand, we would absolutely look at that. So we can give a lot of things that customers know and love in their SaaS platforms. We, to truly go there would mean basically architecting from the ground up. And that's my message back to Burned and Bjorn at SAP. If we're taking that serious, I think we as AWS have a wonderful uh, amount of contributions that we could make because we serve the others. Uh, we have entire teams dedicated to building SaaS platforms and that help uh, advise on that stuff. But you cannot incrementally uh, improve a candle into a light bulb. It's just not going to happen. You're going to have to start building from the ground up. And building from the ground up means that every SAP customer has a brand new implementation to consider, which means that they all will look around and say, what are the alternatives for me, right? So it's, it's, it's a really complex dilemma. That was just boss's perspective, not AWS's perspective. Sorry, yes? Same thing. So anything that's an OLTP system is by and large dedicated to a scale-up architecture. So we do CRM, PLM, SRM, 
Those all run on the exact same infrastructure that you saw on that slide. Uh, when you look at BW workloads or HANA data marks, those are scale out and they can use that portion of the, of the diagram. Did I answer your question? Uh, so the question is, for non-HANA applications, is there a benefit to, of AWS using architecture over the other? So choosing AWS for non-HANA architectures is similar to HANA architecture. You still get that same level of uh, agility and elasticity and lower TCO, but more so the ability to innovate faster than cloning a system, applying a patch and an upgrade used to be a lot of effort whether it's HANA or non-HANA, those, those benefits all still remain, right? For many customers I've met with three today alone, they didn't know, they, knew, they started to know that they wanted to go to AWS, but they didn't know if they wanted to do a lift and shift, a lift and a move to suite on HANA, or an S4 move. And then when it came to S4, is my system so dirty that I actually should re-implement or should I actually just, just see if I can upgrade it and, and see what happens, right? And those are not trivial, trivial questions. Those re require entire project teams to kind of figure that out. Um, the lift and shift in its own right is still a very common use case, right? It gets you, especially as a, as an, as a CIO, some credibility that you're still innovating in IT, even on traditional workloads, and you're setting up for the future in which you undoubtedly will have to maintain the SAP system on a HANA environment or whatever it goes. And it is much easier to clone that Oracle system, upgrade it to HANA and test it in a cloud environment where you have infinite capacity versus if it stays on-premise. Any other questions? <laughs> we have, uh, we've really seriously looked at it. Um, there, 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 there's two sides of that. One of it is quite interesting. Yes, we think we could actually do some unique benefits and add that to it. On the other side as well is, is the market sizable enough, right? When, when somebody inside AWS, or Raju in this case, needs to make the priorities, which databases am I going to develop an entire RDS offering for? It's not trivial, right? It's not writing the support script and say, uh, let's start offering it. Um, and then the HANA install base is still at its, its early adoption phase. So if, if he looks at the amount of Oracle customers that he serves, or SQL, or Aurora now, um, versus HANA, that's... That's a tough one for him, but at the same point in time, I'm, I'm obviously a proponent of doing it because I believe enterprise customers would pick us up on that. I believe enterprise customers have given us the feedback is if I don't need to touch the database and I get the Amazon experience on it, take that. Uh, so it's not on the roadmap right now. Uh, it runs on us. So, so um, ultimately, so for the, for the non-SAP experts, Leonardo was introduced at Sapphire. It's analogous with uh, Watson, if you will, right? It's, it's, it's a brand name for all things that is emerging. 
uh, when you dive deeper, <laughs> is it fairer? It's a brand name for all that, and it's very deliberately actually there. There's a layer of mystery around it. Because uh, Bernd himself actually told me, it drives me nuts. I'm meeting a customer and I'm, and I'm asking him, how are you thinking about your I IoT priorities? And the customer says, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll use Watson for that. Yeah, but what will Watson do for you? We have not figured that out, but Watson will be the answer. And so the SAP needed something to, to combat that uh, story. The reality of it is it's a design thinking methodology to help customers imagine what the opportunities could be if you apply these emerging technologies uh, uh, methodically and in some kind of workshop, right? A four-week workshop in one of the labs. Underlying Watson are all the components of SAP we've always known. And so HEC is running on AWS, SCP is running on AWS. We're the only partner that is actually general available and able to scale uh, in multiple regions. So to us, if, if Leonardo is the answer for our customers, uh, that's fantastic. I think what the opportunity is for our customers and our partners um, is actually leveraging the AWS uh, native services when it comes to natural language, when it comes to machine learning, recognition, um, Internet of Things services, the big data lake is running on AWS, right? And so when you, when you think about where is, where is actually the innovation going to take place, there's two schools of thought. One is the CIO and his leadership team or her leadership team will spend four weeks with SAP in a lab and they will redesign how the world needs to look when it comes to a connected car or whatever the, the objective is. The other one is it's actually developers that are roaming around at this conference that actually are going to natively just build something nobody knows about it. It wasn't a sales opportunity, it wasn't an account rep that was trying to figure out what the bill of materials needed to look like, and it emerges in a, as a platform proof of concept. And I think the latter is what we're going to see. The latter is how modern organizations develop these days, at least the big customers that we serve. We don't know necessarily what they're doing with our compute units, right? We don't look into that. We don't know which services they're consuming other than at month end when the bill comes in and then nobody's all that interested in it. But the innovation happens right there and the developer will find sometimes a reason to tap into SAP IP. And to me, the opportunity is to make it really easy to tap into that SAP IP, right? To figure out a way to consume a customer by the drink. In the industry, the cleanest definition of a customer master record is in an SAP system because it's so rigid. And developers know this. When I need to leverage customer data, material master data, an HR record, it's in SAP. I think SAP is, is, is looking at a huge opportunity to make and mine that data and make it easy to consume on platforms like AWS so that it really could facilitate faster innovation. Again, not AWS perspectives, bosses' perspectives. Any other questions? So actually, I don't know if it's unique. We do have Vora. Uh, Vora, so the question is, what do we do uniquely around Vora? Vora is an adapter. On, uh, on Spark, Apache Spark, in order to get a connecti uh, connectivity between a HANA in-memory database and the in-memory uh, version of Hadoop, right? So 
imagine a big data lake, you know which parts are hot data that you actually can leverage in a decision-making platform like Suite on HANA, and four is the answer there. So we sell Vora through Marketplace, so customers can do it without having to call SAP, and it runs just fine um, on, on any one of our distributed Hadoop networks, and it even runs fine on EMR. Other than that, there's nothing really unique about what we do. Was this helpful? Did you learn something? Are you gonna really focus on Oracle now? <laughs> no, we're super excited, right? We're super excited with the SAP partnership. Um, I think it's been a phenomenal 12 months. I can honestly, in my heart of hearts, promise you that the partners that are jumping into the SAP opportunity are making a very smart decision. This is gonna be an inevitable move. The world will move to a hyperscale cloud also for enterprise-grade mission-critical workloads. And we've seen some adoption now, already hundreds, but there's 50,000 customers that need to move, guys. And the majority, I believe, will end up on a hyperscale cloud platform because the value proposition is just too strong to ignore. All right. A wonderful conference. Don't miss uh, Andy's keynote tomorrow.